Hello there, and welcome to the third annual Kids Halloween episode. For those of you who are new to us this Halloween, once a year I ask for submissions from young horror fans, and every year I'm delightfully surprised at the wonderfully spooky creativity that comes through my inbox. There are some real doozies this year. Some are truly dark and terrifying, so I would give it a listen before you play it for any very young ghouls. Now, let's get on with the scares! Only Child by Eden, age 8 Charlie is your average 12-year-old girl, a little bit nerdy, and her nose always stuck in a book. One gloomy afternoon, Charlie was walking home with her BFF, Alexa, when Charlie asked, Do you want to come by my house to meet my little sister? With a confused look on her face, Alexa said, You don't have a little sister. Annoyed with her friend's response, Charlie shouted, Yes, I do! The girls continued to walk home in dead silence, and then they parted ways to their own houses. When Charlie got home, she opened her front door slowly with an annoyed look on her face. Her mom came up to her and said, What's wrong, sweetheart? Mom, my friend said I don't have a little sister, exclaimed Charlie. Her mom paused, and her eyes shifted around the room. Yes, sweetheart. You don't have a little sister. With her head bowed down, Charlie walked up the stairs to her bedroom. She opened the door to her bedroom and was relieved to see her sister Emily playing with her old toys. Mom said I don't have a little sister, but I can see you and you can see me, Charlie said. I know, it's so weird, Emily replied. Suddenly, Charlie heard her mom calling them for dinner. Charlie was very hungry, and she was excited to eat her favorite dinner, tuna salad. As she walked down into the kitchen, her mom said, Sweetheart, I think you need a psychologist. No, I don't, Charlie shouted, running back upstairs to her room. She didn't care how hungry she was. She didn't understand why her mom was being so strange, and she didn't want to see her for the rest of the night. As she walked into her bedroom, she turned to Emily and said, Mom says I need a psychologist, but I don't know why. Emily tilted her head and said, That's weird. The girl shrugged it off, told some bedtime stories, and went to sleep. The next day at school, the sisters were talking in the hallway. Suddenly, a loud voice boomed behind them. Hey! Why are you talking to yourself, loser? A bully yelled angrily. What do you mean? I'm just talking to my sister, yelled Charlie. Freak! The bully replied. That afternoon, Charlie came home and said, Hey, Mom, why do people say I don't have a sister? Her mom stopped what she was doing and replied, Yeah, you don't have a sister. At this point... Charlie started getting really angry. Mom, just tell me what is going on. I do have a sister, I promise. Charlie's mom got really quiet and whispered, 
Okay, you did have a sister. But we got into a car crash 13 years ago, and unfortunately, she did not live. Confused and freaked out, Charlie yelled, Oh my gosh! How terrible! Lots of questions were spinning around in Charlie's head, so she ran upstairs to collect her thoughts. She curled up in her bed and drifted off to sleep. In the middle of her deep sleep, Charlie heard a loud noise. Bang! Terrified, Charlie nervously asked, Who's there? She then heard a creepy laugh. Seriously, who's there? Charlie exclaimed. Oh, it's your sister. Or should I say, ghost sister? Emily replied with a creepy smile. Now it's time for you to be a ghost. <laughs> Emily shouted. Charlie jumped out of bed and ran into her closet to hide. She must have been so terrified that she passed out and fell asleep. When she woke, she felt really light and dizzy. She lifted her arms, and they were light as a feather and looked clear as water. Why do I feel so weird? Charlie thought. Wait! I'm I'm dead! Our next story is by Ammon, age 13, and Gunner, age 11. This is The Ventriloquist. It was fall 2015. The wind blew softly through the trees, and the leaves crunched under Jared Wesley's shoes, who was 12 years old, and was raking the leaves in his front yard. Everything in Spanish Fork seemed silent. Jared's dog, Elliot, barked loudly outside. It was obvious he hated being tied to the fence every morning. Jared slapped his back and said, Shut it, Teddy. Do you want me to tighten it up? The dog stopped barking, and Jared shuffled all the leaves up that he missed and trickled them in his pile. He heard a voice and immediately looked up and saw a tall, slender man standing before him. It was the new neighbor. Hi there, buddy, he said in a joyful voice. But you could obviously see that there was a sadness in his eyes, as if he were holding back tears. (laughs) Hi, mumbled Jared. Jared was very shy around new people. Jared looked at the man's right hand and, dangling there, stood a puppet. The puppet was a parrot with pink, purple, and yellow feathers, and it had bulging green eyes. Who's that? said Jared. This is my little friend, Mr. Fishton. Jared's gaze averted from the puppet and to the man's home, if you could call it that. The paint on the house used to be light blue, but now it is very worn. The windows are boarded on one room of the second floor. This made Jared suspicious because 
It looked like the man was trying to hide something, and all of the curtains were closed. He had heard stories from other kids in the neighborhood that the house was haunted, and the house had been sitting there for more than 70 years. Then the man looked at him and asked, What's your name, young man? Jared, he mumbled, still not feeling comfortable around the man. Jared, that's a nice name. I'm Joshua, pleased to meet you, he said in a low, quiet voice. Then, as Jared was about to reply, his mom grabbed his wrist and yanked him through the front door that led into the front yard. His mother gave him a stern look and told him, I don't want you to talk to strangers again, young man. I have told you this before. He started talking to me first, he replied in a shouting voice. It doesn't matter who talked first. You kept talking to him, now go to your room and do your homework. So, Jared stomped upstairs and did his homework, and he couldn't help but think about the grown man and the puppet. Jared went to bed at 9.30 p.m. and woke up at 2.42 in the morning and heard screaming and the barking of his dog. That sent chills down his spine, but then he thought it was the teenagers who lived in the neighborhood. He just tried to go back to sleep, and eventually he did. The next day, he got ready for school and got on the bus, and his friend Taylor Brown was sitting in the third row where they always sat. Taylor was a top student with a perfect attendance record, and he would not want to lose that so easily to a cold. Jared wanted to talk to Taylor about the screams he heard last night because it was troubling him all morning. When he got to school, it was a regular day. One week later, Taylor still hasn't come to school, and now Jared was panicking that he wasn't there. The next day, there was a missing poster for Taylor Brown hung on the hallway bulletin board. Now Jared was freaking out because his friend is for sure missing and Jared thinks he knows what those screams were. The next night, there were more screams now. Jared totally knew where they were coming from. The haunted house. Jared hid under his blanket because he was now sure his neighbor was a murderer. It was the weekend, and he walked past Joshua's house slowly, and he saw Joshua taking out the trash. Then Jared hid around his white picket fence as he waited for Joshua to go back in his house. He opened his pocket knife and walked towards the black trash bag slowly. He crouched down to the black trash bag, and it was filled with human remains. He stared down at the trash bag, and he ran back to his house and locked the doors. His father wondered why he was so afraid as he panted heavily. He tried to tell them about the remains, and his parents said, Stop making stuff up. Jared watched out his front window, and Joshua was staring back at him with a smile. Jared's sister, Amelia, age seven, walked into his room and asked about the man, and Jared said, He is our new neighbor, and I think he's killing kids in the neighborhood. You know Taylor, my friend? Asked Jared, waiting for an answer, but Amelia ran downstairs crying. The next day, which was a Saturday, the dog was gone, and Jared went out into the street and called for Elliot. 
and he never came, and Amelia was crying, and Jared knew what happened once again, and no one believed him. The next night, there was more screaming, and he could hear a distinctive chopping noise, and he was so scared, but he knew no one believed him. So, he stopped trying to tell people. The next day on the school bus, three kids are missing. Emma Caldry, Cash Williams, and Veronica Wilbers. He, of course, knew what happened. The entire day at school, he was thinking about the screams. Jared came home, had dinner, and did his homework, and he stayed up looking out the window. Then he fell asleep and woke up to screaming. It was more muffled, as if someone were being choked. It sounded like Amelia! Jared knew what he had to do now. He crept towards the house. The room with boarded windows had a light on, and there was a chopping noise. He kicked the broken front door open and stepped in. The entire house smelled foul. The chopping now stops, and he hears Joshua coming down the stairs. He saw his shadow that was being cast from an oil lamp across the room. Jared was so scared that he was about to just run out the door. But this wasn't just his friend. It was his sister. Hi there, friend. What brings you here tonight? Said Joshua. Jared barely managed to get the words out. What did you do with my sister? Why don't you go back to bed? Said Joshua in his soft voice, as if he wasn't even alive. But you killed my sister! I guess I will have to take you to bed. Here, sleep on the couch. The TV was on, but there was just static, and the TV was 20 years out of date. The couch had brown stains all over it, and he thought it was blood. He waited for Joshua to go to sleep so he could escape. But Joshua never went to sleep. He just stayed upstairs doing stuff. But Jared was so scared of what was up there. At around 6 a.m., he made a break for the door and ran to his house and told his parents about what had happened. His dad went to Joshua's house and knocked on the door. Jared's dad, John, asked Joshua, Can I come in? Of course, Joshua replied with a wide grin across his face. John went inside, and hours and hours passed, and it was very late at night, and John never came out. The next day, Jared was going to explore the house. He knew that Joshua left on Mondays to go shopping for stuff, but he could never make out what it was. So before school, he went to his house and broke inside and looked in the kitchen. There was nothing downstairs, so he went upstairs. So Jared called for Amelia and his dad, but no one answered. He went into a room which was Joshua's. It had a very old mattress and blanket on the floor. So he crept into another room, and there were fold-up plastic tables lined in rows of two, and there were blood and remains all over them. Clothes and other belongings of children lay on the tables. There was also the parrot puppet, Mr. Fishton, hanged from a nail on the wall. Then... Joshua came inside the house and walked upstairs. 
when he spotted Jared, he said, I see you have found my crafts room. Say hello to Taylor. He pulls a puppet from behind his back, and it was his friend Taylor. He was hollowed out and missing his legs, so you could use him as a puppet. Then Joshua started moving the mouth of his monstrosity, smiling. He said, Hi, Jared. Jared screamed, horrified at what he saw, and ran so fast back to his house and told his mom, and she called the police for help with what's going on. An hour later, the police showed up. They went into the house, and they never came out. But Jared could hear something roll down the stairs with a thump, a body. He still thought somebody was inside or could be alive, so he went in again to see. He wandered quietly through the rooms, knowing Joshua was upstairs. In the kitchen, there sat jars in a dirty white cabinet of what looked like kids' teeth lined in a row. The sink was filled with soaking wet blood-stained items that Joshua must have found in the kids' clothes in his so-called crafts room. Jared looked around the musty room once more, until he felt the pain of a whack of a hammer against the side of his head. He woke up, and he saw he was in a small bedroom with peeling yellow wallpaper and a dirt trail from what seemed like footprints. Jared, in a way, knew this was the end. He began to cry. That's when he heard the door creak open and walked out was Joshua wearing a clown costume. He had on smeared clown makeup and a big, puffy red wig. Hey there, pal! Turn that frown upside down! He said in a squealing voice. My name is Bingo the Clown, the best around. Jared saw that he was tied to the wall with a belt tied around the thin white pipe he struggled trying to get loose as Bingo hopped around the room laughing. Bravo! He screamed out. Then he came nose to nose with Jared and grabbed a butcher knife from his right pocket of the polka dot clown suit and said, I'm so glad you could join the party, Jared. With a chop, it was over. Jared was gone but would soon become a best friend to Joshua and would always be by Taylor's side. One big happy family. As another puppet on the shelf. The end. This next story is by Pepe Begay, age 11, and this is Mr. Red. There once was a lonely couple who wished for a beautiful child. So, their wish came true. One day the couple found a baby wrapped in blankets. They took her in as their own. She was named Aram. As she grew up over the years, she would see figures and hear whispers too. This is Aram's story. Hey, so... 
I'm here to tell you my story. I'm 16 right now, and I would like to share a little bit about myself. When I was around seven years old, something happened that changed my life. I can never forget because there will always now be a dark shadow behind me, following me. I did always see shadows and even hear whispers that came from no one. I usually see them in the corner of my eye. I'm sure you could too if you look hard enough. I try to talk about this to my therapist, but I know she just thinks I'm crazy and thinks I need to be in a mental hospital. She keeps telling me nothing ever happened. Talking about hospitals reminds me how it all started. My story of how I became this way. Crazy. When I was little, like I told you, seven years old, I began to see and hear him. Mr. Red. At first, it wasn't scary, and I thought it was normal. I was used to seeing dark, shadowy figures and sounds, but deep down, I knew something wasn't right. One day, I told my parents about Mr. Red. They immediately stopped what they were doing and just looked at one another. This scared and confused me a little. They began to whisper to each other and said something about a hospital, but what should I know? I was seven. The next day, they told me we would go for a little drive. After a few hours, we drove up to a huge white building. In the front were people waiting, waiting for me. The other people that were around walked away quickly after seeing me and even looked scared. I began to cry and kicked and screamed. I didn't feel right. I knew something was wrong. The air started to feel really heavy. I fainted. I woke up in the hospital in a bed. The room was weird and not something I had seen before. It was giant, bright white with many cameras. There was a large window I couldn't see out of. I had weird gloves and shoes on me. I threw a tantrum, kicking, crying, and screaming. My parents ran in and hugged me. Once I calmed down, they spoke with the doctor and very quietly. My mother said that this nice man was going to take care of me for a while and that they would visit often. This made my stomach turn. They said I would have to stay here in order to get better. I told them I wouldn't talk about Mr. Red anymore. It didn't help. I felt like I was going more crazy. During my stay, the hospital would call me Subject 40 and not by my name. I soon learned that I had a type of sickness. They wouldn't tell me what it was or what it was called. I was so scared and I hated it there. They would ask me questions every day about Mr. Red. They would force me to tell them what I would see and hear, force me to take awful medicines. The people weren't all bad. Some were actually nice and even called me by my name. I am so thankful for them. After a while, things continued to get worse. I had more and more nightmares about Mr. Red. In my dreams, I would be crying in this pitch black room 
listening to him say horrible things to me and about me. I could hear him get closer and closer. He had a low, raspy voice and made horrible breathing sounds. He would tell me that I knew nothing to this world. My parents didn't want me. He would tell me I will soon be gone and no one will be able to find me. I went through this every day for one whole year. One day, I thought to myself, I'm never leaving. I will have to stay here the rest of my life. If only I knew what was to happen next. The next day, I woke to blood smeared all over the walls and my door was broken. I couldn't hear anyone but him, Mr. Red. I tried shutting my eyes as tightly as I could, but when I opened them, he was standing there in the far dark corner of my room, staring back at me with his empty, beady black eyes. I could see him more clearly than ever. His skin was red, the color of fresh blood, and he had a large slit for a mouth that oozed a deep red liquid. He would breathe deeply with a rasp, but exhales quickly, over and over. Speaking of this now gives me chills, makes my hands sweat. I didn't know how much longer I could take. Us staring at one another. Why was this happening? What is going to happen? It's like my nightmare all over again. I then hear a loud slap, and my face begins to hurt. I feel dizzy. I wake at home to my mother crying and my father shaking me. My parents told me I had fainted at the dinner table. I don't understand what happened or what was even real. Even though I am now awake, well, I hope I am, I still feel something there. I feel him there waiting. I know it. If you think I'm crazy, that's okay. Move on. I understand. You've got your own problems. I definitely got my own. I just wanted to share my story and to tell you to stay away from Mr. Red and don't look too long at the figures in the corner of your eyes. Our next story is The Bat by Aiden De La Rosa, age 10. On an unusually gloomy autumn day, a 12-year-old boy named Dan was walking home from soccer practice. Suddenly, he got a chill, like someone or something was watching him. So he turned to look, but no one was there. All that was there was just the rustle of leaves and the caw of crows. So, he continued to walk home. Usually, he didn't walk home this way because he didn't like walking by the creepy old cabinet shop that everyone said was haunted. But today, Coach made them run extra laps, so it was too late to walk the long way. When he got home, he was met by two very worried parents, and they said, Where have you been? Haven't you heard? No, 
I've been at soccer practice all afternoon and didn't get to check my phone or anything, replied Dan. He could see that they were extremely scared, so he asked them what was going on, and they told him that children of all ages have been going missing all week at dusk. For a second, he thought that they were trying to prank him, but when he saw the look of concern on their faces, he knew that they weren't joking. The next day at school, Dan told his friends Pete, Jake, and Jenny about the kids that went missing, and they decided that they wanted to investigate. Pete said that a good place to hide kids would be in that abandoned cabinet shop that everyone said was haunted. Of course, he was only kidding, but Dan took it seriously. And while Pete was trying to explain that he was only kidding, Dan was trying to figure out the best way to get in. The shop had a large fence with a big lock that made it very, very hard to get into. Later, after school, Dan met up with his friends to find a way into the cabinet shop to find anything that might explain where the missing children had gone. They found a loose spot in the fence at the bottom and were able to squeeze in. As soon as they got into the shop, they were greeted by the most awful smell. They got out their flashlights and walkie-talkies and decided to split up. They set their channels and agreed to contact each other if they found anything at all. As Dan walked, he found the source of the stench. Bat guano. Dan was disgusted, but couldn't seem to look away from the giant heap. What? Wait, is that a kid's shoe in the middle of that nasty pile? He started to key up his walkie-talkie to ask Jenny to come over, but stopped because he heard her scream. He started to run in the direction that she had gone, but only went a few feet when he saw something reflecting on the ground. He rushed over to see what it was. It was Jenny's walkie-talkie. He looked around to see if she was nearby, but didn't find her. At that moment, Jake ran over asking what happened. As Dan reached for the walkie-talkie to show it to Jake, he heard something drop behind him. He turned to see what it was. It was Jake's flashlight. But Jake was gone. Dan ran the other way and straight into Pete. He started to apologize about knocking him down when he heard a sharp, ear-piercing shriek above him. Dan heard a sickening crunch as Pete's words got cut off. Dan scrambled to get up when he is suddenly enveloped in complete darkness. Added to the growing list of missing kids were Dan Archer, Pete Mason, Jake Taylor, and Jenny Anderson. The End. Our next story tonight is The Haunted Closet by Brooklyn Self, age 10. One day, a little girl named Lily was in her room. She was playing her favorite two-player game with Eleanor, her best friend forever. They had a sleepover. At three in the morning, they woke up. They played truth or dare. Lily chose the truth, and she was asked, Do you like someone? I do like Jonathan, Eleanor, 
Eleanor chose truth and was asked the same thing. No, I do not. Eleanor asked truth or dare and Lily chose dare. She dared to go in her closet. Lily did and did not come out for a long time. In fact, not even when her mom woke up. When she came out, there was blood everywhere. She was covered in blood, and in the closet was a monster, and the monster said, Do not come back. We then rushed Lily to the hospital, and the doctor said that she had to stay for the night. The next night, Lily came home. The closet was open, and blood was inside. The monster was there, and Lily's mom was screaming. We saved her and called the cops, but there was only blood, no monster. We saw the monster again when the cops left, and he said, I told you not to come back. But this is our home. The monster had disappeared, and that night we packed. Then we went to a different house. Our next story is Ring Around the Rosie by George Martin, age 12. It was a dark and stormy night. The time was about 7.55 p.m. when it started to rain. John and Carl were best friends, and they had decided to run through the old rundown neighborhood to get home in time for a party. The pair bolted past little kids in Halloween costumes with their parents, who were also going home. They had been trick-or-treating far from home. They were going to meet other friends named Daniel and Will. Then... It started to pour. Abruptly, John blurted out, Let's go take cover in that old house over there. I can then call Daniel and Will. Plus, I'm pretty sure that that house is abandoned if you were worried or scared. I don't know, replied Carl. Come on, nagged John. Okay, fine, but if anything bad happens, it's on you, said Carl. Chicken muttered John. What? asked Carl. Nothing. Let's go. I'm getting wet, replied John. They walked to the house. The gate was locked, but it was so short that they were able to climb it. They noticed that there was a broken entrance and an axe in the door, a rotting jack-o'-lantern. The wood was so splintery that they couldn't touch anything in fear that they might get hurt. Okay, I'm calling Will and Daniel. They will be here in less than nine minutes, John told Carl. Hurry, I'm cold. Probably because it's 40 degrees and raining, angrily yelled Carl. Then, ten minutes later, their friends arrived on bikes. You're late, and who is with you? asked Carl. This is Ryan and David. They're twins, said Will. Let's go explore this spooky house, said Daniel. Okay. Everyone but Carl agreed. Really? asked Carl. Yes! The others explained. Okay, fine, let's go, said Carl. So they went in, which was the worst mistake of their lives. The first room they visited in the eerie, spooky, rundown house was the kitchen, which connected to the broken, decimated dining room. Then, he saw his dad's name carved into the wall. 
Guys, that's my dad's name. He was crazy, Carl told the group. What's it doing here? He asked. I don't know, they all replied. Let's keep moving, guys, said David and Will. They smelled old mold and rotten food. Then they saw something horrifying. There was a skeleton in the oven. What? yelled Carl. Is that a skeleton in the oven? Yep, replied Ryan. The rest of the rooms were the same. Silverware was everywhere. There were broken chairs and more skeletons. Then Carl took a bite out of a muffin that was so soft, warm, and yummy, like it was fresh. Guys, where is Will? asked Daniel. I'm here, replied Will. Help! They heard. Ryan, cried David, we are coming. But it was too late. Ryan was dead. He had been hit with an axe in his back. Guys, do you see that? asked Will. There was a man in a suit black as night. Run and hide! Go to the basement! yelled John. The group of five now ran downstairs to get away from this thing. They all hid in the basement, and when they did, they separated. Carl and David hid in a crate inside the storage room next to a cauldron. Daniel hid in the shower, and John was hiding with Will in the bedroom. They tried to call the cops, but they found they had no service. Then they heard footsteps, followed by a rasping voice asking, Where's my dinner? The figure went to the bathroom and found Daniel, who tried to fight back, but he didn't have a chance. The thing punched him half to death and finished him with an arrow from a bow and arrow. Then he went to the bathroom. The floor creaked and cracked as he walked. It sounded as if it might give at any moment. The smell was horrible. After that, the thing got a sack and put David's body in it, saying, I'll eat you later. When he got to the bedroom, only Will was there. John had used Daniel's dying moments to get Carl and David upstairs. Meanwhile, Will was fighting the thing with a knife. He got it once in the shoulder and the left leg. The thing was hurt, but Will ran out of stamina, and the thing grabbed the knife and stabbed him in the stomach and then shot him with a bow and arrow too. The thing looked like a zombie when he shot Will, and when Will was shot, he fell like bricks and made a thump sound, and the thing put him in his bag too. Run, whispered John. The thing turned around and they ran to the attic. John saw the bedroom first. Look over there, whispered John. Let's hide in that prehistoric attic, whispered Carl. They ran in and locked the door, hoping their assailant had not seen them. Let's look for a way to escape, said David still sad and angry from Ryan's death. They looked around and they saw bats that were hanging from the ceiling, ancient tombstones, aged Halloween costumes, walls that looked like they hadn't been painted in a long time, and they thought they saw a black cat. Look, said Carl, a window, and there's a pool under there, and there's water in it. Then, out of nowhere, they heard... Ring around the rosy.
said that? Asked John. Suddenly, the door unlocked. Pocket full of posy. Seriously, that's not funny, stammered David as they all shivered. The door opened, and the thing walked in. He sang the last verse. Ashes, ashes, they all fall down, dead. Then, David and John were turned into ash. Then a gush of wind blew the ashes away. Why did you forsake my friends? asked Carl. Then the thing turned to Carl. Oh, yes. Hello, son. It said. Huh? Asked Carl. The thing took off his mask, which was as round as a ball. Yes, this house used to be my parents' house. Then the government said we had to leave. Explained John Smith. I vowed revenge on anyone who came into this house. Eating them was a joke but it was supposed to scare them off the property. Join me, son, and with your knowledge and my magic, we will rule the town and will never be told what to do again, yelled John Smith. Never, yelled Carl. His father said he was a pacifist, but really he was a hypocrite and a stupid oaf. He grabbed a lighter and moonshine, threw the alcohol on the floor, and lit the moonshine on fire, burning the house and his father. Carl ran as fast as a cheetah. He broke the window with a chair and jumped into the pool and ran. The crackling sounds of flames that were coming from the fire were deafening, and the smell of rotting wood and smoke smells like a dead animal in a campfire. He still got out, but with many bruises, scrapes, and lots of questions. Epilogue. Now, Carl M. Smith tells you this tale. Yes, it was me who escaped and lived to tell the account. The police and the fire department came out, and guess what? David survived, but died later that night of blood loss. You might ask, why I tell you this story? I'll tell you why. This adventure, tale, story, whatever you want to call it, it all came at a cost. What cost, you might ask? We gave our stars, stripes, and our brotherly blood. This next story is by Micah Hightower, age 6. Evil Nightmare Once there were some scary kids. They were alone. Their mom told them to go to sleep, but as soon as she left, the oldest daughter said she was going to sleep. She wasn't actually going to sleep. She was reading her book. Her window was open and she didn't know. Somebody climbed out from under her bed. She got captured. The next morning, she was gone, and so were the other kids. As soon as her parents came in, they also went gone. The next morning, the police arrived, and they didn't see any crime. But they didn't know Bloody Mary was there.
This next story is by 11-year-old Kylan Ward, and it's called Clown Infestation. On one dark and scary night, there were three children, Jake, Vanessa, and Grace, walking around their neighborhood. They were on their way to a party when Grace suddenly stopped. She felt a presence, but everyone else is in front of her whistling and enjoying the walk. She feels a cold breeze on the back of her neck, so she whips her head around and shouts, Who's there? Jake and Vanessa ask, Are you crazy? You scared us. Grace replies, There is something following us. It was a dark, tall shadow, and it said in a dark and creepy voice, I'm your worst nightmare, and let out a dark and evil laugh. It was a clown. The three of them dashed to the party to warn the others, but little did they know, they were the last people that had not been turned into a clown. They got to the house, and they were surrounded. They blacked out and woke up in a cage. They had to think of a way to escape. First, Jake tried and got turned. Then, Vanessa. Grace knew she had to be smart, so she screamed, Let me out, please! I will help you find the rest of humanity! All clowns at once shouted, We already wiped everyone out! Grace said, No, I saw people! As they turned around to go look for them, Grace slipped through the bars of the cage and found a crossbow nearby, smacked all the clowns one by one and realized if they get hurt, they turn back. Whack, bam, boom. The Monster Above the Trees by Gavin Zarate, age nine. Once upon a time, there were three boys named Mike, Chris, and Joel. They walked into a nearby forest. The boys took a flashlight, a couple of snacks, and a pocket knife in case of protection. As the three boys walked into the forest, Mike said, Guys, I think we should head back to the house. I might have heard a siren. Joel said, Stop being a wuss, Mike. We were almost there. Mike said, Okay, fine. Earlier, Mike had complained that he kept seeing a creature about 40 feet tall and had mummy-like skin. He also said that the creature's head was a pole with two sirens attached. A couple of minutes later, everyone went silent. Mike soon discovered that Joel and Chris were gone. He yelled, Guys, if this is a prank, it's not funny. Mike then heard leaves crumbling on the tree above him. When he looked up, he saw the same creature that he had seen earlier. Mummy-like skin and a head with two sirens attached to a rusted pole. The creature didn't do anything at first, but when Mike heard the sirens, Mike has not been heard from since, and people wonder if he is still alive. And our last story to round out this annual Halloween episode is by Susie G, age 8. Three years ago, on Halloween, 
There were three young trick-or-treaters, Sammy, Lily, and Cassandra Lowe. They were triplets in the fifth grade. They had collectively decided that this was their final year trick-or-treating. Middle school was right around the corner. It was a new chapter for them. They didn't want to do baby things anymore. They wanted to go to parties, to school dances, and haunted houses. It didn't take long to convince their mom to let them trick-or-treat by themselves. I don't see why not. Just around the block and don't knock on Mr. Don's door, their mother cautioned. Mr. Don was an old man who had lived by himself for ages. He was short and bald. He was always shouting to himself, muttering and chewing dip on his porch every day. He would creepily admire the young girls in the neighborhood. The girls weren't oblivious. They knew they had to avoid him. Halloween night was full of laughter. Mr. Don forgotten for now. Ew, look at Mr. Don's house, Lily sneered. His yard had sloppy DIY severed limbs, and two fake corpses wrapped in a tarp hung from his tree. I triple dog dare Sammy to ding dong ditch, shouted Cassandra. Lily quickly nodded in agreement. Come on, do it, it'll be fun, Lily chimed. Sammy's hands started to sweat. Well, what would Mom say? Sammy stuttered. I won't tell if you won't, Lily said mischievously. Sammy didn't want to look like a coward. She began to walk from the corner to Mr. Don's door. She saw her sisters hide behind the tree. I got this. We're going to leave her behind? Cassandra asked. Yeah, but only to scare her, Lily responded. They tiptoed their way down the street, running as soon as they passed Mr. Don's last inch of yard. They ran and laughed all the way home. As soon as they slammed the door, their mom looked at them. Lily, Cassandra, where's Sammy? Between their breathless laughs, Lily managed to say, (laughs) She's coming, don't worry. The girls couldn't help but snicker. Five minutes later, no Sammy. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and no Sammy. Cassandra and Lily came clean to their mom. There was no calming her as she stomped her way to Don's house, her fury seeping out of her. Her hands banged on his door. She didn't stop until he opened the door. Where is she? Where's Sammy? He looked at her, annoyed. She ain't here. She ran off before I opened the door. What? Where'd she go? I don't know. She ain't here. He huffed out. Mrs. Lowe's face paled, and her stomach dropped. Lily and Cassandra felt guilty. Oh, God, where are you, Sammy? As the three of them walked off Mr. Don's property, Lily looked at the tree. Were there always three decorations on there? Thanks everyone for joining me for another spooky Halloween. A special thanks to all my authors. Keep on writing. You all have the coolest, most creative brains I have ever seen. All right, everyone. See you next year. Good night. Sleep tight. And don't let the werewolves bite.